I'm really excited to talk about uh, the Barbie movie with you. Yeah, me too. I, that scene where like that bomb goes off and they're all just watching it. Um, yeah, I don't remember seeing Ken wear that outfit, like the hat and stuff. And yeah, like the, the 40s monster the sad, Ken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember that Ken. Nuclear physicist Ken? I didn't see nuclear physicist Barbie either. No, but, well, that's much more plausible. Barbie can do anything. That's so true. Barbie can be anyone and do anything. Including split an atom and design the bomb that's going to drop on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, apparently. And she can not be held morally responsible for it because she's perfect (laughs) and everyone wants to be her. Carlin, I think at this point I just have to say, you saw the wrong movie. And it's an easy mistake to make. You actually watched Oppenheimer. What? Obligatory joke. Uh, what a nice. good way to now that we've gotten that out of the way. Yeah, good way to start a <laughs> podcast. No, I won't let you do just one appendectomy. But I'm a man. But not a doctor. Can I talk to a doctor? You are talking to a doctor. Can I need a clicky pen? No. A sharp thing. No. There he is. Doctor! Somebody get security. What do I have to do? You have to go to the real world. You can go back to your regular life, or you can know the truth about the universe. The choice is now yours. The first one, the high heel. You have to want to know, okay? Do it again. Closer, I am fine. Closer, I am fine. I'm coming with you. Uh, what'd you think? Did you like it? Yeah, Carlin, with caveats, which we'll definitely get to later, I just want to say, on the whole, I really enjoyed this movie. I'm man enough to admit, I was laughing really hard the whole time. <laughs> I thought it was yeah. very clever. I loved it. It was a really fun time. It was delightful, wasn't it? I I liked the first half better than the second half. I love how they introduce all the world, the world building of like, how does Barbie land interact with the real world? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The songs, the dance numbers, even the Ken's dancing at the end. The Ken (laughs) dance number took me completely by surprise. My movie going experience was full of girls and moms wearing pink. But there was a good number of dudes there also wearing pink, and I loved to see it. I thought it was so fun. It's like everybody was just was so invested and involved. Like everyone was having a great time. It's like we were all in on this joke together. I haven't seen this many people in movie theaters recently, and it brings joy to my spirit. Bring them back. Come on, movies. Movie theaters, don't die. No, they won't. If Tom Cruise has anything to say about it, they won't. Right, or Greta Gerwig. Uh, you know who I loved in this movie, Carlin? Mm-hmm. Kate McKinnon. Crazy, a.k.a. Crazy, crazy Barbie. Crazy Barbie! You make them crazy by playing with them too hard. That was <laughs> hilarious. Everything she said was so funny. I really liked the tone that they captured, that Barbie is so wholesome and lovely and um, thoughtful. And that mo- there's like that moment yeah. where she's out in the real world and Ken's kind of running around like being silly and like finding out about the patriarchy. And she just sits on the bench and she's like, I just need to think for a minute. And she has this kind of stillness about her that I just found really likable and really lovable. And I'm like, this is a- she's a good role model. Yeah. So I liked that. What did you like? Uh, I felt the same way. And just, you know, having two sisters and a mom around the house. You guys didn't play with Barbie that much, but I think this just captured uh, almost like a half-forgotten sort of impression I have of just how little girls imagine the world when they play, Hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. before all the crap uh, enters, you know, there's just like a wholesomeness. And this movie felt like it was from that sort of imagination. I don't even know, like all the jokes, just the way that Ken is like utterly superfluous. Uh, that's part of the wholesomeness of Barbie because like, who gives a crap about Ken? Like, but that's the perspective of like pre-adolescent little girls playing Barbie. So I wasn't a Barbie girl. Um, I liked Polly Pockets, but mostly I just wanted to do animals. I wanted Beanie Babies and I wanted to play pretend in my imagination. So I was never attracted to Barbies. So I think there's a piece of that that I don't quite understand, um, for little girls who are like really into fashion or makeup or whatever. Mm. And I'd love to know what that would have been like for them. For me, I wanted adventure as a little kid. Like I, and my games would end up taking more like dramatic turns. Um, Right. Like, (laughs) like coming of age ceremonies, trial by fire, uh, like, like lots of death and suffering. You and your best friend Hannah would invent these stories that were like so dramatic and so intricate and so like emotionally 
I don't even know. Like the you guys would just go and play for hours. Oh like yeah, we, and we would savor the most dramatic moment and then play <laughs> it again. Like we wanted to be orphans. We always want. You never want to have parents in your game because parents kind of ruin your adventure in True. in play world. So we would always have to be orphans. But we're like, well, we have we should play out like what happened to our parents. And in one story that, and you can ask Hannah about this. We both remember it vividly. In one story, our our dad had murdered our mom. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't ask me where I got this. I had two loving parents. He pushed her into a shark tank and then fell in himself or something else horrendous. And that's why we were orphaned. But I think that is fundamental to what to how girls play and to how all kids play. Like kids right. play is them working out, you know, what they experience in the world right. and working right. out human emotion. And they play out things that are other than them just to kind of get their mind around it to like figure things out and learn about the world. But um, yeah, like I just really didn't care about fashion and dressing mm. up and Barbies. I, mm. I wanted I wanted it to be much more um, fantastical, but also dramatic, complex. What did you think of that opening scene where the little girls, it's like prehistoric girls and they're all just playing with oh, yeah, baby dolls that. and then a ginormous Barbie shows up. So, yeah, man, my mind went so many different places. I mean, I appreciate the humor of it. I think one thing they were getting at is second wave feminism. So first wave feminism, you think of the suffragettes in the 1800s wearing their Victorian outfits, you know, like votes for women, yes. right? And they they were like, we're the civilized sex. We You need our votes to civilize this country, you yeah. know? And as a big result of what they did, at least in America, was prohibition, right? right? They ushered in, like, we're just going to ban liquor. Like, see the power women can have when you bring us to the table. We're going to create this great society because women have the vote now. So that those were tied together. Our daughters, daughters will adore <laughs> us. And then second wave feminism kind of started in the 60s and continued on through the 80s. And as I understand it, it was more women sort of rejecting being locked into just the traditional role of wife and mother. Mm -hmm. And this came after World War II, where because a lot of men were gone overseas fighting, women had to step up and do traditionally male jobs. But then all these men came home and the women were like, kind of like back, like, wait a minute, we were doing, we kind of like had a thing going, you know? Like we were doing okay. And at the same time, ooh, this is something you you mentioned when we were having this conversation back in Colorado. This is also the advent of all these labor-saving devices. So if you were like a wife out on the frontier and it was you and your husband and your five kids, if you didn't wash the clothes, your family would die and you had to wash them by hand. And if you didn't if you didn't like butcher the the chickens and gather the eggs and milk the cows, who was going to do it? No one. Your husband had right. to be out in the field doing hard manual labor and you had to be maintaining your household. He needed you. You needed you. Your children needed you. But in the 60s, you know, you have a laundry machine, you have cars, you can, there's so much more time on your hands and that changed the role of women. Right. Like there was no time in the frontier to be lounging with cat eye glasses in the 1960s glamour pool <laughs> in Las Vegas. You know, <laughs> right, like, right. that's very much a 20th century version of things. We picked up, in my opinion, some pretty weird views of what women are supposed to do all day in that decade, too. Like just the idleness yeah. of the 50s housewife is something unknown to the rest of human history. Right. Like, just sit right. here and look pretty. Like I heard Jordan Peterson, very interestingly enough, because um, he's kind of ridiculed as not being very pro-feminist. But he said, um, he, he was referring to women in, in developing countries who don't have access to electricity. And he says, like, half of the world's brain power is being held up washing the dishes. He's like, what a travesty. That women are contributing members to society, but because they don't, some women don't have electricity, they actually don't have the energy or the time to devote their minds to developing science or developing mathematics or arts the way that men sometimes have the luxury to do. Right. How about we press into some of the themes and just explore like what this movie is trying to Yay. say about gender in its yes. own way. trying to tell us you put forward an amazing question that i think we okay. i just want to ask you to lead off with and it's just it's simple what is barbie saying about what it means to be a woman and that could be a big yeah. answer with many facets but i think you asked it really well so 
My best guess is all the Barbies in Barbie land have this super fun, safe, empowering female thing going on. And it's just charming and lovely. And they naively but well-intentioned, Lily, believe that they've solved all the problems of feminism. And then Barbie comes to the real world and learns that, uh, oh, it's not, it's a little more complicated than she thought. So I kind of think that the, the, the main thrust of the movie is talking about how do you hold the tension of being ordinary or having flaws, hmm. like cellulite and flat feet, um, in tension with this other very compelling image of what femininity could, should be. Hmm. Like, I think we all love the Barbie world and we all want to believe that women are capable of anything. The culture that this movie's talking to pretty much uh, agrees with the Barbie mindset of that um, women are capable of achieving their dreams. Hmm. But then I think this movie's trying to say, like, that's a lot of pressure (laughs) Hmm. to put on a girl. Um, And sometimes it's okay for Barbie to have, like, existential dread. Hmm. And then it's summed up in that big speech at the end that I think... The movie itself, I think, is pointing to that big Mm. monologue that Gloria gives to the Barbies. You mean the one where she says, we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. You got to be thin, but not too thin. You can't say you want to be thin. Like, all of those crazy contradictions that women have to live under right i think what the movie's saying is just saying it allows me to be free from the pressure like it allows me to be free from the societal uh standard that's impossible to fill so maybe that's what the movie is doing like let's call it out and say how difficult it is to be a woman and all these contradictions of society and then we can move forward um with the permission as if you need it quote unquote because you you shouldn't need permission to just be a woman. Um, but I think it's catching this feeling amongst uh, women in society that's this going around, this feeling that for some reason I need permission hmm. to be everything that I am because the standard is impossible. Why do you think the movie thinks the standard is impossible? Well, I, I mean, that's just what's going around. And a lot of people I talk to, uh, believe that 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 there is this impossible standard for a woman to live up to, and I think it resonated. Like there was a big applause in the theater after that speech. It was like everyone was like waiting for it to be said, you know. And they're like, finally, someone's willing to say this. So yeah, what do you, what do you think? I mean, it seems like the movie points directly at men in a lot of ways. In the, mm-hmm. so in so like in Barbie world, there's the tension of this is an ideal. And no uh-huh. one can possibly live up to it. Like, it's an idea. Ideas don't get cellulite. You know, real women do. And so there's that tension of what do uh, we do with this ideal that we have that is good and wholesome, right? And fun. Right. Right. And, and then the movie also then looks at the real world where things are so messed up. It's like exactly the opposite of Barbie world. Like, I think as a man, it both hurts and is probably good to see the scenes where she's getting catcalled from like every single direction. Yeah. I think. How did that strike you? Did that feel believable to you? Was that, um, what was that like for you? I mean, it doesn't feel believable in the sense that I've ever experienced anything like that. And and if I was in the presence of where, you know, that happening, I'd get pissed. Like I'd, I'd want to fight. But from all the women I care about, I hear that, that that happens all the time. Yeah. It's like a C, like she says, uh, I don't know, everyone's looking at you and there's this undertone of violence. And Ken's like, <laughs> what undertone of violence? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. And th- so they're saying something, I think, pretty profound about the difference between men and women right there. Women are the object, by and large, of men's desire. Yeah. And that presents itself in, you know, some wholesome, good ways and a million terrible, awful, violent, fallen degraded ways and i just think it's good for men so i live on a college campus i think it's just good for especially college age men to grapple with the ways that their actions have consequences on real people Mm -hmm. and i would honestly say carlin unless women i respect and love had shown me the truth of that i would have never really believed it wow i don't know i just wouldn't have had reason i would have been like of course people like that are out there scumbags but right. how men behave towards women on a daily basis in major cities all around the world is like the worst best kept secret <laughs> among men. They don't actually, they don't see it. They don't experience it. So yeah, I don't know. I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted about it a little bit because 
on one hand, I feel like the response or like the tone that I understand from men, I just don't think anyone's ever said this to me. The understanding I get is that men are like, well, why can't you take a compliment? <laughs> um, like, I'm just complimenting you. Um, but it's like, okay, sure. <laughs> but there is a, a degrading compliment is not really a compliment. Um, right. Like it's more, it's more this attitude or this kind of thirstiness. Uh, that feels like no matter what you think, how you think I'm going to respond, it feels bad. I just have permission it, to just say this to you. Yeah, right. Like, um, like the whole. Uh, I have had a guy um tell me I need I should smile more. That's kind of like the go to, um, in, uh, comment that I think most girls have had. This like a guy's like, oh man, you'd you'd be pretty if you smile more. But here's why I'm conflicted, um, because I I think by nature. Like if I if no one had taught me about feminism or if no one had taught me about this dynamic, I don't know that I would really be that aware of it. And I I struggle because I don't know if that's my own naivete, um, my own just desire to believe the best about people, because I think just um, most people who know me would say that I tend to believe the best about people um, sometimes to such an extreme level that I uh, I I don't notice when people are behaving badly in my presence. Right. And I almost wonder, like there's a coming of age angle to this movie. There's an age of innocence where everything's amazing and perfect. Everything's fantastic. And it's like, I love that. You want to protect that young girls. Like my wife and I were talking about this. Like you don't want Ken to have a outsized influence on Barbie. Like get the heck out of here, Ken. Like, you know, some seven year old girl doesn't need to be, but here's the crazy part. They naturally will want Ken in the picture to have just some romance. I mean, it's not, not across the board, but little girls will play like there's Barbie and Ken are in love. That's why there is a Ken. But right. by the same token, there's a purity of Ken never holds Barbie back. Ken, more than anything, is an accessory at that age. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And they just lean into that wholesale, which made, by the way, it's just so funny. Like every line that Ken's <laughs> said, all the interactions between Ken and Barbie, I thought were hilarious because I was seeing them through the lens of this is how little girls view Ken. I mean, this yeah. is really how anyone views Ken. He's an accessory. Right. Because <laughs> Ken is a Barbie doll. Like we're talking about toys, right? Made for kids, right? And that's perfectly right for kids and and toys. There's a sense in which you're saying we're not. It's not really talking about real men and real women in the real world, right? I to me the character who epitomized the real journey was Sasha, the daughter of the mom. I mean, mm. they, their two stories are obviously because they're the real women in this, yeah. right? They're the most <laughs> important. But like Sasha says, everyone hates women. Men hate women, women hate women, everyone hates women. She's in this jaded space. Women are losing. You know what I mean? There's like a jadedness there. Yeah. No, and I think um, to to go back to just my own experience, yeah, I I definitely have had that awakening. And I think a lot of girls have where at some point your innocence gets broken a little bit and you realize like, oh, uh, not everyone is here just you know, to, to hang out and have a good time. Like I actually am in physical danger sometimes and I need to watch my back. Like, don't go on a run with your, both your headphones in. Um, don't go out at night. Don't, you know, and that, that kind of a feeling, um, that, that feeling that hilariously Barbie talks about, there's an undertone of violence. Yeah. I felt that too. I've seen a look on a man's face that makes me feel physically afraid. And then you hear stories and and anecdotally you hear like, you know, one in four women are molested. That aligns with the uh, anecdotal evidence of of the people that I know. Someone said this recently and take it with a grain of salt, but it, it did strike me. It's like someone said the reason why gay men make heterosexual men uncomfortable is that they don't like being subjected to the male gays and they're worried that gay men are looking at them the way they look at women and it makes them Whoa. deeply uncomfortable because they because they know what that's sub- they know what's going on there. i'm not saying they are experiencing it but they're worried that they're subconsciously experiencing it on the receiving end and it makes them deeply uncomfortable wow there might be a, a nucleus of truth in that you know what i mean but then the barbie movie attempts uh some kind of synthesis right and i was going to ask you about this like for example like the character arc of sasha the daughter she's all bitter she's all angry she she hates the feminine world because it seems Uh so unsafe to her then she comes back to barbie land 
And over time, you see her in these, you know, just kind of cut scenes, like she's singing with her mom and she kind of returns to like a safety and a wholesomeness within femininity. I was just going to ask, like, what makes that difference for her? Did you notice that? And what's your comment on that? Totally. That's a great question. And I think you're right in thinking that because they're the real women and even though they have many, much less screen time, you're right. I think that is kind of the main crux of the movie. But Sasha changes her mind, in my opinion, when her mom shares her drawings or she Mm. realizes that her mom's not like a bimbo. Like her mom Mm. has got some thought and some depth and has experienced pain. Like clearly Sasha is wearing this tough exterior clearly because she has experienced pain. And she's not going to put stuff that away in a drawer and pretend like the world is fine when it's not. She's like overcompensating for that feeling. And she maybe has this feeling that her mom is trying to pretend like everything's okay. And her mom's not being real. But then at the end, she's like, oh, they're talking about um, Gloria's drawings. And she's like, no, mom, your drawings are weird and and dark and awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that raises her status in, in, in Sasha's eyes. Yeah. Almost like Sasha was viewing her mom through the same patriarchal lens that all of society viewed all women through. Whoa. Sasha had subjected her mom to that same treatment. Like, like don't, you're being a plastic Barbie. Right. You're being stereotypical Barbie. Right. You're, everything's perfect and fine. And you're not going to acknowledge that there's real problems with the world. And I reject that. As a woman, I reject that, even if it means I have to live in, in this dark, weird, suffering place. And she's so disgusted by the friendship her mom has with Barbie. And whereas the audience, <laughs> I don't know, I felt like that was so sweet and so wholesome. She's like, weird Barbie. That happens when you play with them too hard. There's catharsis when Sasha realizes, I've been maybe doing the same thing that the world is, and it's okay to be uh-huh. anything a woman can be. Everything women are it's okay to be that. Right. Right. And so I was even going to ask like, yeah, how does Barbie resolve the pain of the real world versus the fantasy world where everything's perfect? And their solution is be yourself. And tell me if you saw this too, like at the very end, Barbie's talking with Ruth Handler and uh, she's like, I want to be a real person. And Ruth is like, I can't let you do that in good conscience without showing you what it's going to be. And then we get this montage of, all these real world women. Mm-hmm. So actually pretty moving. And then yeah. the very thing, the very last thing Barbie says, other than the last cutscene, the joke about going to the gynecologist, the, the last serious line we get from her is yes. She just says yes. To be human. Well, I loved when she said, uh, I don't want to just be the idea. I want to be the, I want to be part of the people that make the ideas. Like I want to be a contributor. She wants, and you, and there's, you have to be a human to be a contributor. You can't be a Barbie. Right. And, but with being a human comes the the real, the reality that she's going to die someday. And at the beginning, that's her inciting fear. Right. Is these thoughts of death that terrify her, and she's like, "I'll take the high heel. I'll take the high heel. Like I don't want to know." Um. But by the end, she thoughtfully decides, "Yeah, I think it's worth it. To be a contributor to the world is going to cost me my perfection." It's going to cost me my youth and my beauty, but it's better wow. to be real. And, and that to me, I, well, here's another thing I loved about Barbie is that's consistent with her character because remember when she's sitting next, on the bench next to that old lady oh, and she man. just turns and goes, you're beautiful. Oh, man. Like Barbie sees people for who they are and celebrates them, wrinkles and all. And that is a truly lovely feminine expression. That is so true. And like, again, our cards are already out on the table. I mean, like in some ways I'm a gender realist. Like I think <clears throat> men and women mm-hmm. are different by design. But mm-hmm. there's a way that women do that that is different than the way that men do that. And we are, we all have been the recipients of that kind of love if you had a mother who loved you well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Women bring that. Unconditional love. Man, just sing through to the heart. Uh, Oftentimes men, I don't know, if they do it, they do it differently. And when Barbie, that scene was beautiful, Carlin. I almost cried at that scene, but I didn't. it was a great scene. Had to hold it together because I was wearing my pink swim trunks and my (laughs) Hawaiian shirt and I was already eating some (laughs) ice cream in the theater. So, you know, it's like I couldn't afford to go any farther down that road. So did I cry? No. (laughs) You'll never catch me crying. 
Uh, <laughs> but I Can we talk about what does Barbie say about men? Because I think this is a whole different side of this movie, and it's maybe not as important. No, uh, thank God, as what it's saying about women. Um, but I do want to hear, like, what do you think about Penn and all that? Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you asked because I know there's some controversy going around about Barbie, especially as it relates to good old Ken. I think at the end of the day, there are some worldview themes that we're going to want to break down, right? Like any piece of culture, there's good and there's bad. And in a phrase that my uh, colleague John Stone Street likes to say, we're going to have to learn how to walk and chew gum at the same time. Right. What's what's the walking and what's the chewing gum in this particular movie? I think this movie's implicit theme that they're having fun with is that men are basically the entire problem. Uh, and the, and that the only way for women to have peace is basically to, to banish men completely. Uh, so so there is something we need to talk about there. Like like you said, this men and women need each other. Right. And, and it's no good pretending they don't. So we'll get into that. But to be honest, uh, and my wife pointed this out, this isn't really a movie about authentic masculinity. It's really a movie about Barbie reacting to the most bizarre, ridiculous and ch- childish version of the patriarchy. So, so the question isn't really uh, what do you what do we do about men? It's kind of more like what do we do about patriarchy at its most drastic and, and ridiculous so the world that Barbie lives in, it, we're all meant to love it. But the thought crossed my mind, it's really not that much, is it that much different than the world that the Kens have? Like in one world, one gender gets everything they want and it's all great. And in the, o- and the other gender suffers and has no meaning and no purpose and no job. <laughs> right. So the version of Barbie land where it's Ken land, is it any worse for exactly half of the population. I think you could read into it that there's it's a zero-sum game between men and women. And, and let's be fair, the conclusion of Barbie is basically they revert to the matriarchy. And it's like, Ken, just go figure sure. out who you are in your own life. Like, don't mess with our, like, women power system. So I, right. I want to be fair to that. But Carlin, honestly, when you asked what's the walking and chewing gum, if the chewing gum represents the, yeah. uh, complex, the bit of complexity we need to add... Um, and that's that there are real issues that this movie doesn't address or fails to address to me. And this might just be as a man watching this movie. I want to be sensitive to the, to the walking part, which is in essence, the real problems they're pointing out with patriarchy where it exists. I wasn't necessarily offended by this movie because I I think I just assumed it's not really commenting on what real men are like. It's commenting about what the patriarchy is like. Again, at its most ridiculous and extreme. And in doing that, their implicit themes snuck in a little bit about what they actually think about men. But it's just not it's just not that simple to be like Barbie hates men. They're having too much fun with that to really say one for one. Yeah, this proves they hate men. It's like it's more nuanced than that. The walking and chewing gum could be what this movie is teasing at a truth about the world. But it's also probably not saying everything there is to say about gender. That's right. If Barbie is the full picture for masculinity and femininity, (laughs) we're in trouble. So like we could say percentage wise, like what percentage of the truth is this movie telling? It might be that this movie's telling 30% of the truth or 40%, 50%, 60%, 80%. I think part of my approach is whatever percentage of this movie is nailing it, I think is important to talk about. Like there's an ocean of problems that women face that men are basically blind to. There's an, an entire world of of struggle based on yeah. gender that I'm convinced men just don't appreciate. And listen, by the same token, in the real world, there's an ocean of problems facing men that women aren't in tune to and that mm. men themselves aren't always in tune to that we got to deal with as well. So in my mind, in a Christian worldview, it's not a zero-sum game. Even if the filmmakers treat it implicitly like a zero-sum game, we should chew the meat and spit the fat and be clear about which is which. It's not taking the problem of men. What men suffer in the world, it's just not even addressing that. It's so flippant about that. But one thing I wanted to say is that it might be 100% of the truth for not 100% of the women. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Gender is such a big problem that people experience it totally differently. Uh, For instance, my friend Catherine, 
when we saw this movie, I asked her, do you think the patriarchy exists? And immediately, without missing a beat, she said, no. Yeah, there are other women who have suffered at the hands of men and suffered because of their gender. Such a bummer to talk about those stories because it's painful. But we should. But we should. We need to seek the truth. And if parts of this movie are true, we should listen. And if parts of this movie are, like, misleading, even if they're hilarious, we should be discerning. So what about the last scene when a Barbie um, very briefly apologizes to Ken and is like, I'm sorry, Chicky, for granted. I guess not every night has to be girls' night. You brought this up earlier. Uh, we need to talk about the ways that men, that men and women need each other. Yeah. That doesn't mean every man needs every woman in a, and every yeah. woman needs a man in a romantic relationship, but like yeah. the genders depend on each other. Anyway, the, the movie didn't talk about that. They were mostly about self-expression as women, finding out yeah. what it means to be a woman. So I think the dominant theme for men watching wasn't, hey, here's how you can turn it around and become a good man per se, or even here's how you can support the women in your life in terms of being women, but mostly just a good hard look in the mirror at ridiculous patriarchy. But that said, Carlin, a lot of the humor really did land for me. I noticed some things that were funny and implicit, like all the Kens start off fighting, but then they become best buds at the end. Like they just drop it. It's like complete. Their conflict yeah. is gone and they're bros. The stupid side of that comes through and was a hit a little close to home. Like when he's like, let me, hey, can I play guitar at you? <laughs> it's like my <laughs> wife grabbed my arm. Seen it. We've all Maybe you want to watch me just play guitar. Or like, hey, let me help you on the computer. And his like yeah. mojo dojo casa house, like hilarious because I would love a mojo dojo casa house. You know what I mean? <laughs> with with slow motion horses running around in the, on the TV screens. <laughs> I know some people will disagree with me and, and that's fine. But I, I just, I'm, I feel like there's enough space for men to, because men have real needs that aren't being met by society as well. Are they uh -huh. equal? Do they overshadow women's needs? They shouldn't, right? We should have 100% space to deal with each of these struggles and listen yeah. to the, them fully. It's not a zero-sum game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when yeah. I say that men kind of need camaraderie and they need men to, they need men, other men to respect them as men, that's a deeply right. developmental side of boys, young boys' character transitioning into being a good man, right? Yeah. I can just confidently say this movie just wasn't even trying to grapple with that, and that's fine. I heard uh, Louise Perry, my new hero, uh, say this observation uh, on going back to mansplaining things. And she said, I think um, a lot of women don't realize that men, that's how men talk to each other as well. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, it's not, it's not by necessity a gender thing. Hmm. It could just be that men speak that way to each other. They speak that way to everyone. And women are just much more in tune with, like, oh, I don't want to think, I don't want you to think I don't think you can do this. But that's not really a male instinct, necessarily, to think yeah. that. <laughs> with my two buddies who I lived with before I got married, we had a love language we called insults of affection. You know what I mean? So uh -huh. just like, hey, good morning, bro. You look like you fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, well, I, I could smell you before you came downstairs. Why don't you take a shower, you dirty hippie? You know, it's like, and that's how we knew we loved each other. So yeah. anyway, I have some girlfriends that do that and they that's great for them. But I think on the whole, that would not really fly <laughs> so much. Men and women are different. <laughs> what can we say? So all that to say, like, what did it say about men? I don't know. It's there to represent the struggles that men sometimes do impose on women in the real world. Mm. No, I totally agree with you. And it, I could sense, I, I'm sure people will, uh, like you said, read into it more, but I like that stance better. It feels more accurate to the film and it, it, it kind of just breathes a fresh air on it. Carlin, one last question I wanted to ask on our themes. Go. Is Barbie a force for good or evil? Yeah, I mean, I think Barbie got kind of hated for a while. Um, like clearly Barbie's like, I don't know all the history, but wildly popular toy for generations. Um, but I feel like there's this intuition of Barbie haters. And I think I probably participated this when I was like in middle school and high school. I'm like, yeah, who wants to play with a Barbie? And then in more recent years, it's like, oh my gosh, why would we make this like voluptuous, perfect, ridiculously skinny, anatomically incorrect, um, flawless blonde woman? The And we're setting that before little girls and saying, this is what you should be. Right. Um, and so Barbie got criticized for that. 
And I think what this movie was saying was, no, 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 you're missing the point. Hmm. We want girls. And even uh, Will Ferrell's character says this. He's like, I actually got in this job because I believed in little girls and their dreams. I believed him when he said that. In the least creepy way imaginable. I'm the son of a mother. I'm the mother of a nephew. (laughs) Yeah, it was hilarious. There's something about that they, they are saying, like, you know, if Barbie could learn, Barbie can learn a lesson, and that's that you don't have to be perfect. And that's the lesson that she learned. Um, but on the whole, it was well, well meaning. Another question for you. Keep them coming. I like this. I feel like batter up. Batter, 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 hey, batter, 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 swing. Silly or significant when Ruth says, I always think best by a kitchen table. It's real, right. Interesting. Funny. Because it feels like that would go against the, but then again, the the stance, babe, Barbie's stance is like, women can do anything, even be moms, even be housewives. Um, So maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. But a kitchen table, I mean, and this is getting into, I think our third themes a little bit, but I think the kitchen table is the, is the heart of a home. It brings people together. It's, I mean, everyone has to eat and traditionally women or putting that food on the table, and also knitting their families together through hospitality and like literal nourishment. So I think it's probably a lot deeper. It hits a, it strikes a theme that I think is profound, actually. But I don't know if um, the movie was going for that or not. Yeah. Maybe yes. Maybe yes. I think the movie's highlighting that exact tension. So, okay, let's get to our themes. How about we? You want to okay, get to our okay, themes? okay, okay, okay. So, Carlin, we've asked what Barbie is saying about what it means to be a woman. What mm-hmm. does a Christian worldview say about what it means to be a woman? Uh, the Christian worldview is very uh, honoring towards women, actually, which I feel like some listeners might be like, what? Because a lot of times we read verses in the Bible that will make you pause and wonder, like, what? What is this saying? And we're, we don't not necessarily get into all of those here. But the overall message that Christianity has is that men and women are created equal before God. They have different functions and different roles, but they have equal spiritual status and equal access to God because they're made in God's image. That's where I would start. What, what would you say? I think that is the crucial starting point for what Christianity adds to the world. Mm. And even as you're talking, it strikes me, we are swimming in, as Tom Holland likes to point out often, the guy who wrote, he wrote a book called Dominion. His point is Mm -hmm. we're living in a Christian world. Even our atheists, even the God our atheists don't believe in is the God of Christianity. And we're, (laughs) and we have structured nearly every part of our society on the basis of a Judeo-Christian worldview, starting with the radical commitment to the idea that all people are equal in the sight of God and have equal worth and dignity. If you had a time machine, for example, and you went back to the Aztecs and you said, hey, men and women are equal, they would have laughed in your face. If you had a time machine and you went back and you said, Plato, hey, Plato, excuse me, men and women are equal, he would have been like, shut up, servant. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've created a rigid Republic where they, whatever, he, but he wouldn't, he would have laughed in your face. Every single world culture, yeah. even the ones that were like, well, we worship the mother deity. You know what I mean? Even mm-hmm. those ones believed women were inferior to men. Judeo-Christian belief alone teaches that they're equal in God's sight. And when you really break it down, like if we live in a material world where there is no God and there's no meaning and there's no good and evil and we just evolved this way. We evolved into a binary, yes. Mm-hmm. On what grounds are you possibly going to base the assertion that all people are equal? Because the yeah. first thing you notice about all people is that they are most definitely not all equal. Right. Some are faster, some are stronger, some are smarter. The smartest ones have evolved and survived. The dumb ones die. Funny, in uh, Jordan Peterson, since we were talking about him earlier, and an interview with Louis Perry, and he's talking about this from like a stone-cold evolutionary mm-hmm. perspective, mm-hmm. was saying that women are protected from, from violence, particularly sexual violence, by their relationships with the men in their life, their fathers, their hmm. brothers, their husbands. Hmm. So because they are physically weaker... Um, that's an undeniable biological fact. Uh, they need, they're dependent on strong men to protect them. 
Um, and Luis said a unique contribution from Christianity is that women shouldn't be uh, essentially raped, not because of not because it violates the the men in their life, but because it violates them as a person. Wow. We've hinted at it too. One thing we could talk about is that men and women need each other. Um, uh, and this is something that Barbie didn't tackle. Should yeah. it have tackled it is a different question. I feel like my answer is like 60% no, 40% <laughs> it might have been helpful because Barbie essentially is like, I don't need Ken, he's an accessory. Like she goes on this right. journey of synthesizing the idealized childhood perfection with the gritty, gross, real world. But Ken goes nowhere on that journey with her, essentially. He's yeah. just like, just go be your own man, Ken. Like, I don't really need you. Is right. sort of a conclusion. Now, it's a little bit complicated in my mind because on one hand, I want little girls to have the same like self-empowered view that's like the world does not revolve around boys and what boys think about you. Yeah. Please get that idea out of your mind. Um, and so if, if the Barbie movie is primarily commenting on childhood and the self-esteem girls need to develop at a young age, I'm all yeah. about it. But if the yeah. Barbie movie is like a roadmap for modern women to negotiate the pitfalls of modern life, it's right. just not complete because we have to figure out a way to live together. You can't, yeah. you just can't banish all the men from your life. Um, Regardless yeah. of whether or not you would want to, and I actually have great sympathy for people who have been burned by men and just don't want, just don't want to deal. Yeah. The first thing I want to just say is I'm so sorry. I understand how that could be the case, but we got to equip the next generation to actually have that same self-esteem in relation with the opposite sex. We can't always pretend like they're dopey and silly and don't matter. Right. We got to equip young women to deal with real men who are trying to wield real power over them maybe for their yeah. not best interest, right? Right. Oh, that's a really good point. I, just, I was just thinking about a conversation I had with your friend Sarah, um, who's a really strong woman, CEO, executive leader type person. Right. Fierce, girl boss. And I asked her about the movie Moana. I was like, did you, I mean, what do you think about uh, Moana, Elsa, all these Disney princesses that like don't have princes anymore? Like we're basically done with princes in Disney. We don't, we don't want to see that anymore. Right. And she was like, you know, it felt very lonely watching hmm. Moana have to have to bear. Like, they're asking a lot hmm. of this girl to be the chieftain and the savior of her country, of her people. And hmm. she has to restore the heart of Tafiti. And she has to, like, she has to civilize this crazy god, you know, who behaves like an animal. Like... That's a lot of pressure. Kind of the same thing that the Barbie movie is saying. Like, uh, this girl boss movement is compelling and fun and awesome. But golly, that's a lot of pressure to put on anyone. Right. And if girls need, if, 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 if men and women need each other, like, we need to do a better job of teaching girls. Like you said, how do you navigate that in the real world? Because most women are going to want an intimate partner right. they're gonna want a man they're right. gonna want a husband so so how do we do that well and that and that's what the barbie movie isn't really saying if i have one gripe well i have two gripes but here's one of them and these are minor mm -hmm. it didn't stop me from enjoying the movie but it's like yeah barbie's message was like you can be any kind of girl you want except mm -hmm. a barbie who maybe wants a ken <laughs> and who who wants a ken that's like a real man wow. and, and not just a dopey right. accessory like accessories yeah. are safe but they're not real and most women i know do not want a, a passive little boy to be their yeah. arm candy they want someone who is going to take initiative and take them on dates and make money and be the father of their children and stick around right. and get when the going gets tough you tighten your belt and you stick it out in your marriage like that's the kind yeah. of men the world needs and the best Barbie, the best answer Barbie had was like, just be your own person and go to your gynecologist. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, like, again, funny, but more is needed. More is needed. Even, even that they have like pregnant Barbie. That was funny uh, with my friend, Emmeline, who I saw this movie with. She's like, I had Midge. It was a real Barbie doll and she had a plastic belly with a baby in it. And you could magnet the belly off and get the baby out. That's wild. <laughs> That's wild. 
So, and there's a, there's a flavor in modern feminist thought that like, you're liberated from men, even if you want to have a baby. Right. You can just have right. artificial insemination. Like, you don't need a man for anything. Right. But what about when you're trying to raise your baby and all your baby needs you because you're breastfeeding or you just want to spend time, like, you're just feeling drawn to spend time with your baby, but you can't, you have to go to work. Right. And, like, moms that with have no other choice but to leave their baby at daycare, and they don't want that, like... It comes in handy to have a husband, I would imagine, who right. is going to provide the house and provide the income so that you can actually do be present right. and, and be where you want to be. More than that, if we're like one of my heroes is uh, a gal named Katie Faust. She has a nonprofit called mm-hmm. Them Before Us. Her whole mm. message is we should craft policy as though children are the most vulnerable members of society that need protecting. We shouldn't craft... We shouldn't craft policy around making adults happy, first and foremost. We should craft it around what's in the best interest of children. That's so practical. It's such a simple thing, but it turns so much on its head. It's like, if see, because the truth is kids need moms and dads to pour into their development. Let's just focus on little girls for a second. Obviously, little boys need that in huge ways, but little girls need a dad in the picture too. A safe, non-sexual male who's big and strong and nurturing and caring, who values her mind and her intellect, who's calling her up, who teaches her how to maybe play sports, maybe carry herself into a business meeting. Like Little girls need that to develop completely as women, but the most intrinsic deepest need that that little girls have is to actually satisfy that that need for male affirmation that's just to be honest i think hardwired in what's the most important thing to a little boy uh well at a certain age the affirmation of his father what's Mm -hmm. the most important thing to a little girl at a certain age it's the affirmation of the father the mother's love is taken for granted and that's one of the reasons why mother's day is like criminally underrated uh, still, it's like you just yeah. take for granted that mom's going to love you. What you want is dad right. to respect you and love you as well. Because the dad's a bit of a wild card. He's a wild card. Yeah. The mom's bound to you for nine months and then longer. Forever. Her biology bi- binds her to you. Pure selflessness. But, right. But a dad could walk out the door. Yeah. And that would make a big difference. And it says a lot about you if your dad chose to walk out the door. Or at least that's the internal message children can't help but have. I wasn't, yeah. I was not enough for my dad to love me. I don't right. have what it takes. And so my goodness, if we want to build strong women, we need dads in the picture who are doing more than like memorizing Duolingo on the couch, getting one thing. Again, Ooh. was that hilarious? Yes. It's just not the yes. full picture. As long as we're clear on that, I can laugh and totally enjoy this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. There, <laughs> and on that There's a note of that where he's absent. He's not important to the story. But then he's like trying to speak Spanish, presumably because his wife speaks Spanish. It's kind of (laughs) sweet. Yeah, it strikes me that the um, Ken, no no real woman would want to be with a Ken. And the Ken version of the world just sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Seemed kind of awesome to me. Horses. (laughs) Horses are just man extenders. <laughs> we made Mount, Mount Rushmore out of horses. <laughs> kind of seems awesome. I, I don't know, uh, but like, but like, of course, Barbie's not interested in Ken, and uh, but yeah, like maybe that's because she's a kid, she's a girl doll, and that's fine. Carlin, one thing I just didn't want to leave this podcast without saying is, you need four chapter Christianity to deal with the world as it relates to gender. Four chapter. Four chapter Christianity. So I, I can just break that down. Most people would just get two chapter Christianity. You're a sinner and you're mm. in need of a savior. Mm-hmm. Right? Those chapters are good and true. They're the, they're the heartbeat of this thing. But four yeah. chapter Christianity tells the story of the whole world first. Mm. And it grounds you in context. And to be honest, it helps us answer all these social issues that we, most Christians, to be honest, are pretty befuddled by. They have a general intuition about the way scripture speaks to these things, but they haven't thought about it seriously. And it's because they have a two chapter Christianity Mm. we need. And the four chapters are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. 
So for example, we need to understand creation so that we can understand the ways that men and women were designed with differences in mind. Mm. If we don't have that, Mm -hmm. we're going to chalk everything up to the patriarchy and we're going to actually victimize women who uh, maybe just want to be a wife and a mom. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we're going to be like, you're falling for the patriarchy, you sucker. You know, it's like, well... No, there is some design function there. Like, is it meant to be a, a trap? No, but it's just, it's like you're hardwired. So it's not unnatural for you to want that, to want a permanent relationship with a man who cares for you. Like men and women are, are built to desire that in each other. Um, there's also so many incredible things we can draw from the creation of women. For example, when God says, it's not good for the man to be alone, I'll create mm-hmm. a helper suitable for him. Right. Mm-hmm. You've brought this up before. That word helper means mm-hmm. it is from Ezer, the Hebrew word Ezer. And there's mm-hmm. other verses in scripture where it says, God is my help, my my refuge in time mm. of need. It's not a wimpy, right. passive, like here's your, you know. It's not like hamburger helper. Yeah, it's not hamburger <laughs> helper. It's not a maid outfit, you know, delivering milk and cookies to the pool. Right. With it's the like the it's a descriptive word that God uses for himself sometimes. So we we can in, intuit, from, intuit from that that it is not a dismissive or diminished role. Right. Where do you run to in times of crisis? You run to the fortress. You, you call upon your helper. And I'll yeah. just speak from my own marriage. My wife is that for me in so many ways. She is mm. a strong helper. When I break down... There's only one person I want to be with. and It's my wife. She's got my Aww. back. She protects me in those moments. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not unmasculine to say that. It's actually just a design function of women. And most men, if they're being honest, want it so badly. They want someone to hmm. listen to their hearts and protect them. Yeah. No, and, and in the creation story, God takes Eve from the side of Adam. Not from the foot, not from the head from the side. And I think that says something too, like different for sure, but there's this, um, this companionship, like they're coming to solve the same problems and they're coming at it as equals. Yeah. Just going on a few chapters later in Genesis when, and this is so much of our, uh, theology about gender comes from Genesis because it's so foundational. I mean, so much of our theology about everything comes from Genesis right. because the themes of Genesis are literally echoed throughout the rest of scripture. It's a microcosm of the rest of the Bible. Right. I've had a paradigm shift kind of recently as I've been listening to Bible teachers that would say, um, you know, the verse that says that a woman's desire shall be for her husband, but he will rule over her. Right. I don't think this was intended but i kind of grew up just thinking like oh this is part of the curse um that god does pronounce a curse on the the man the woman and the snake for right. for their sin but recently i've had someone challenge that and say no this is a descriptive not prescriptive word from god right huh. he's not cursing women to be subservient to men he's describing how since the relationship is now skewed because of sin this is how it's going to look for the rest of until redemption, this is how the fall is going to work itself out. Well, right. And I was going to say that's that second chapter. It's not just creation that we need to focus on. If you mm. stop there, you're going to be like, well, men and women are different. Men are bigger. Therefore, they should do X, Y, Z, all these things. And women shouldn't. <laughs> women should stay at home, blah, blah, blah. But if you get into fall, you realize the ways that men throughout human history then, like you're saying, have continually stiff-armed women shoved them out of the way, brutalized them. Like when society breaks down, the people who suffer the most are women and children. There's a power differential that's designed for good, but which Mm -hmm. the fall has distorted into a nightmare. And women, when women sense that they are the primary victims, when things go bad in society, that's not an accident. Mm -hmm. I actually just believe because men have more power, they also have more responsibility and they take more blame. Mm -hmm. And, um, and women suffer more when things go skewy in society. Yeah, yeah it's undeniable. Right. Uh, one of the first instances of the fall is when a dude named Lamech, in Genesis chapter four, it says, Lamech married two women, one Ada and the other Zilla. Um, and Lamech sings a little song at his wives. <laughs> he says, Ada and Zilla, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. 
if you want a blueprint for toxic masculinity, it's Lamech, <laughs> right? Like dude yeah. said, and, is, and what we don't know is, is he saying this to his wives and they're like, yeah, that's our guy, you know, or is he saying this like, watch your step. Oh, don't you injure my pride because right. I'll kill you. Where, whereas men were created to be partners with women, fallen masculinity always ends up degrading women. Yeah. But then, then you have redemption, right? And this is what we hinted at. This is the beginning. Jesus flips the script. Well, more scripture than Jesus, the prophets, the prophecies, like the godly people through history have flipped the script. But if you want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. And what does Jesus do when it comes to women? In every opportunity, every time he interacts with them, he dignifies them. He affirms their innate worth. One of my favorite stories is Mary and Martha. You know, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening with the disciples, the traditional posture of a disciple to sit at the Uh rabbi's feet. Martha is busy cooking up a storm, feeding, getting everything work. She's doing the housework. And Martha's upset at Mary. She's like, teacher, have Mary come help me in the kitchen. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things. Few are required. In fact, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Oh. If you understand yeah. that in the in a first century context, it is groundbreaking. Like what Jesus does there should blow everybody's minds. Yeah. It was so countercultural. I love how they depict that in the Chosen series. Mm. How the girls are are they haven't been taught to read. And the the men know the Torah because they were raised good Jewish boys. And mm. it's easy for them. But the women have never been taught to read. And so Jesus gives them time. Like, he's like, please spend time studying, like learn how to read and then read scripture. And they mm. like are blessed by him to, uh, to study. Yeah. W- women formed the backbone of the early church. They were the benefactors. Mm. They were oftentimes, well, there were women who prophesied. They were, they were the backbone of the early church. Now f- for Christians listening, you will know the scriptures in your Bible that show the ways men and women have different roles in ministry. That's a yeah. debate that goes on in the church. Like, should the head, should pastors, for example, be women? We're not right. here to tackle that. But what it's like either way, what we can say is Christianity was revolutionary and should be revolutionary for women because the message to men is clear here. Yeah, Your role, if you want to be like your king who you say you follow, your role is to boost and lift up and dignify the women around you. Yeah. Elevating their voices, protecting their expression as an equal partner. Jesus came to reverse the curse. So we reverse the curse. If you are a man Mm. and you are not listening and you're uh, like shoving aside the women in your life and you don't treat their opinions as equally important, you're not doing what Jesus did. Mm. You're living into the curse, not necessarily the creation mandate. And that is such Mm. a huge distinction. And then we have restoration. At the end of time, God's going to make it all good again. And men and women will be as, as they were designed to be equal partners with, Mm. it'll be like a Barbie world where the Kens aren't just chumps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think our mom did a great job imparting to me, uh, what it means to be a woman. Um, Hmm. like we did, um, we did this series called the five aspects of women and it was a little controversial. I think later I've heard some of my friends have kicked back against it, but the one aspect that really rings out to me was a woman is um, the mistress of her domain. You have a domain and your domain is wherever you happen to find yourself, whether it's your bedroom, keeping it clean, whether it's your um, like if you're the president of a business someday or if you are you know, president of the United States, whatever your domain is, you be the mistress of it. You inhabit it. You mm. organize it. You fill it. You protect it. You um you order it. And I just, that stuck with me. Hmm. And I think for me, that's what, that's what true femininity is, hmm. is taking stock of what's around me and what I'm responsible for, and then doing my very best to nurture it and help it to thrive. Absolutely. I mean, it's so over, overdone, but the Proverbs 31 woman, there's a whole passage on what a Proverbs 31 mm. woman does. She's not weak. She's not <laughs> passive. She's a business owner. You know yeah. what I mean? Like read that again through the eyes, not of 1950s America, but through the original lens of devout Jewish people putting up on a pedestal their ideal version of femininity and just see some of the dissonance with our like idle yeah. 50s housewife who's just there to be arm candy. It's the, it's the right. opposite. It's very she different. Like, 
goes out and considers a field and decides whether or not to buy and it. Buys and buys it. She doesn't ask her husband, <laughs> hey, is this in our bu- is like is this in our budget? She knows the budget. And she's yeah. empowered to act. Yeah. Interesting. Awesome. Carlin, the last thing I, I just want to say is um that Christianity adds to the conversation of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman is this. There is healing for the wounds that we feel regarding mm. gender. There is. Mm. And not every Christian is going to do this well. But I don't think I could give culture a passing grade either. We all suck at this. Uh-huh. But ideally, when you read the creation, fall, redemption, restoration narrative, grounded in certain non-negotiables, the idea that men and women are different, that we're a part of our gender, we represent our gender when we go out the door and because of that, that puts responsibility on. For example, if you're like not a super macho man, I, you mm-hmm. should still walk with the women you're with down a dark alley if that's where their car is parked. I don't care if they're MMA fighters and you're just a shrimpy librarian guy. <laughs> you represent all men in that moment. And so it behooves you to uh, to do the right thing. So, so there are, I think, non-negotiables, but anchored in that, it actually is the only thing that gives us freedom to have the incredibly diverse expression of masculinity and femininity that God envisioned for us to have. Hmm. This is the same God who didn't just say, oh yeah, one type of flower. What? You've seen one flower, you've seen them all. No, he created like <laughs> infinite varieties, like, like birds. Think of how different birds are from each other. Yeah. In the same way, think of how different any two women can be from each other. There are going to be yeah. some similarities, there, but there's a heck of a lot more room for diversity within yeah. those definitions, right? And I think, yeah. scri- I think scripture, what it has for us today is to help us recover and be at peace with our gender so that we're not just, I don't know, like rejecting it, like carving out that piece of ourselves with a knife, because we're too burned mm. and we just can't deal with it. It's going to help mm. us reconcile our relationship with the opposite sex, right? So we're not just mm-hmm. stiff arming the people that we're designed to do life alongside, not just people you're in love with, but uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters and cousins and coworkers. Like we need to relate with each other mm. on gendered lines and there's a healthy way to do that. And scripture wants to heal those wounds. So for yeah. anyone who has those wounds, and I put myself in that camp, even though we had incredible parents who spared us from a lot of wounds as well. I would just say, anchor yourself in the truth and then watch what God can do with your gender expression, actually. There's a huge kaleidoscope that Mm. you get to explore, a true kaleidoscope, right? Our culture thinks that by abolishing the definition entirely, we'll somehow be free. But gosh, if anything, we fall into way worse stereotypes that way. We have nothing to anchor real masculinity and femininity. So then, so what do we do? Even for folks who are experimenting with transgender ideation, what they often will fall into is just what society says a man or a woman is. Yeah. And that breaks my heart. If gender is just a construct, then gender is what color you wear or how long your hair is. Right. But if gender is a, a spiritual truth about who you are, irrevocably linked to your biology then however you are in the world is part of your gender it doesn't matter if you use a jackhammer at work or not like absolutely you can be a masculine woman or a feminine man and not and not be challenged by it in the slightest yes and more than that you can also read history through that lens and one of my least favorite trends in historiography is uh like just reading in all kinds of stuff about men and women who didn't conform to gender stereotypes. Like, yeah, uh, they were them. probably trans. It's like, can they just you be a can. woman? Like, I don't, I don't think they need to be a man. I don't think Joan of Arc was transgender because she fought in the French army in the, you know, middle yeah. age. I don't know. Like how little do you have to think of women to believe that? It's, it's sad. So case fun movie, huh? Fun, movie. fun discussion. I'm totally watching this again. Barbie or Oppenheimer? Go. Barbie, 100%. And it's just, wow. it's because of the it's nudity. It's because of the sex scene, yeah. Ah! Chris Nolan lost me on that. Huff. You? Huff. Uh, Barbie. Oppenheimer was too uh, thinky for me. I never thought I'd say that, but it was just too much. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it, was like, it was like eating a really... Uh, it was like eating steak and you just have to chew it and chew it and chew it and chew it. And sometimes you just want like cotton candy, cotton candy. <laughs> if this mirror it. was real, you'd look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else? By the way, people, this is not the first Barbie movie. There's a whole canon of 
horrific animated Barbie movies that I think oh, still live up to their. Goodness. They're so good. Barbie Mariposa. No, I, I gotta Barbie tell you, Barbie <laughs> Barbie Twelve Dancing Princesses. I as a as a child, I was forced to watch all those Barbie movies, and I have PTSD from it. So I'm sorry. You just I, didn't. You didn't appreciate. Your taste wasn't evolved yet to understand. All I knew is that you got to pick out a movie, and it was always one of those Barbies. And I and <laughs> our dad was like, "We're gonna sit through Carlin." movie as well he did what a good dad good job dad way to go kurt he's a good girl dad all right well see you next time on cinema snorkel